I'm Sarah Fenske. It goes without saying that we're all a bit stressed right now. Sure, you're worried about friends and family members getting sick, but this goes far beyond that. You might be worried about balancing care for your kids with very real demands on the job. Or maybe you work for a bar or a restaurant or a stadium. How will you pay the bills if your employer had to close the doors? Our two guests today are experts in stress, what it is, why you're feeling it, how to manage it. They've got the answers and, we hope, a chance to take a deep breath. So joining me by phone today is Tony Buchanan. He's a professor of psychology and co-director of St. Louis University's neuroscience program. Tony, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. And we're also joined by phone by Dr. Jessie Gold. She's an assistant professor in Washington University's Department of Psychiatry. Dr. Gold, welcome to the show. Thanks for virtually having us. <laughs> well, Tony, let's start with you. You've said you study both the positive and negative effects of stress on the brain and on the behavior. And I just have to wonder, there are positives? Yes, the one of the, the angles of, uh, of uh, effects of stress that people have studied is this uh, phenomenon of, of the response to stress as what's sometimes termed tending and befriending, so in contrast to the fight-or-flight response. So very often uh, what you see is that a response to stress is, is tending to those around you, befriending those around you, and, and trying to uh, bolster your friendships and social relationships to counter the negative effects of stress. Hmm. So that could be stress could be a wake up call to sort of renew those those ties to the world around us. Yes, certainly. Uh, in terms of both, you know, ongoing relationships as well as seeing others in need, as we as we see all around us now, and finding ways to help those around us. So we see examples of that with uh, people reaching out to older adults who may need help with, uh, with grocery shopping or food preparation. So uh, there's very often these uh, situations where, you know, stress can bring out positive uh, behaviors in people. Now, Dr. Gold, I know one of your main areas of focus is college mental health. And this idea of, of friending and of having the community around us, it seems like for college students, that's got to be really hard right now. It, is that something that, that you're hearing from and, and seeing in the community that you try to help? Yeah, it's really hard. I think it sort of depends on where you practice in college mental health, but most of the schools have gone virtual. That doesn't mean everyone's off campus. There are certainly people who live internationally that weren't able to go home because of travel restrictions or because of other restrictions. There are certainly people who aren't safe at home who are able to stay here, and there are also people who can't afford to go home or can't financially support themselves outside of school, and they're able to stay here. But without that support or being basically self-isolated, it's a very different routine for them. They're used to seeing people all the time, and I think we take for granted how often we do socialize. Like even people who consider themselves introverts, I think you spend a lot of time talking to people in your class just looking at them, or your professor, or there's just ways that you interact with people that I think we don't even realize count as socializing, so it's a really big change for them, and there's a lot of anxiety around it, particularly around, most anxiety kind of comes from uncertainty, particularly uncertainty about the future and this ever-changing plan and what happens the next day or hour, and especially for college kids where things are really scheduled and really regimented down to, like, I must take that class this credit this time or I will never graduate, things can spiral pretty quickly. 
Um, so we've been seeing a lot of stress. <laughs> and um, in terms of this sort of self-isolation and, and trying to do the social distancing, what kind of impact does that have on humans um, in terms of stress specifically? Dr. Gold, I'm, I'm curious what you know about that. Yeah, I mean, so we don't have a ton of data on that. The data we have that's at all similar is from, like, quarantines from SARS, which was very different, I think, because the whole population wasn't quarantined. But we do know that removing people from social situations, just like putting someone in a nursing home or people who have just had their lives upended for social reasons, definitely causes depression. Um, They're definitely at risk of um, that being something that they're struggling with, definitely at risk of higher anxiety. Um, I think ways to mitigate that is complex. Um, I think that one of the benefits of having this, um, as much as social media or Internet is a as a problem as a mental health provider, there are also many benefits in this situation. Hmm. Um, I think it decreases the social distance between us, and there are many ways to do things virtually that we probably haven't even explored, but I've seen people talking about doing, like, book clubs over the Internet or talking about watching movies together and learning from people who are in long-distance relationships about how they've maintained those. And I think that there's lots of change that's going to occur, but I think that if we do the same, what, what Tony was talking about doing, the tending and befriending, like, there's a way to support each other through it, and I think that'll be protective because there is also a risk of having acute stress reactions or post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of the quarantine or self-isolation. Tony, do we know anything about the difference that a virtual meeting with someone versus an in-person meeting with someone could have on well-being or, or on stress? No, I don't. I'm not familiar with any research on that. I mean, my understanding would be that you know, so long as a, a social uh, a social connection is maintained, uh, whether it's virtual or in real life, I think a, a virtual connection is is better than no connection at all. So, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know of any specific research on that particular topic. Though. So there's nothing wrong with talking to someone over Skype or talking to someone over the phone. We don't have to do that face to face. Correct. And I I think that that would be a a good recommendation for people. Now, we asked our listeners over Facebook and Twitter yesterday what they're doing to cope. And and we have a bunch of their suggestions we'll we'll try to get to within this conversation. But we also want to hear from you. If you have a method that's helping to calm your nerves, you can give us a call and tell us about it. You can join our conversation at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Now, one of our listeners, Edward Bryant, told us on our Facebook group page that he's been listening to the Miles Davis classic Kind of Blue while he's working. He wrote, this album always brings calm. So let's listen to a little bit of Miles Davis's song, So What?
that's Miles Davis's So What, recommended by our listener, Edward Bryant. Dr. Gold, I'm wondering, what's, thing, what's one thing that brings you calm? <laughs> Not talking so much about anxiety. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I have a dog. Walking my dog is very calming. I have a tiny little dog, and she definitely going outside and spending the time with my dog is nice. It doesn't include human interaction, which I think we're going to go down, continue to limit. So I think finding ways that you get joy and support and can do that with yourself or in ways that are not as dependent on others is going to be really important. So my dog. And probably also good for your dog's well-being. Um, I think so. Tony, I'm wondering, what's something that brings calm for you? Uh, I also have a dog, and so we enjoy uh, spending time with uh, with our dog and, and uh and uh, my kids and my wife, you know, we we uh, uh, have been uh, spending time together. And my daughter and I, you know, have, have cooked more in the past few days together than we mm. have in a few uh, in uh, uh, months. And so that's kind of fun to, to get us doing something and distracted from uh, from what's going on outside in the world. So there's another recommendation for dogs and also, yeah, hanging out with your family and, and doing some cooking. Now, Tony, in your work, I know you've identified two main forms of coping with stress, problem-focused coping and emotion-focused coping. Walk us through, what, what are these two different ways to cope? Well, yeah, well, I'll give uh, uh, credit to uh, to uh, who, who came up with these ideas. This is a, you know, a, an older uh, idea about stress from the from uh, psychologists uh, Richard Lazarus and Susan Folkman. And so problem-focused coping is where you have a, a problem to solve. And so with, with uh, you know, something in your, in your personal life, you can think about, you know, uh, putting time and effort towards solving a problem that might be causing you stress. The emotion-focused coping would be... Uh, Thinking about things differently is one example of it. So, if you if you have a problem that is that is causing you stress and anxiety, you can think about it from a kind of a, a long term point of view, uh, taking a step back from from what's going on, thinking about how you can tackle the problem as a challenge rather than a threat to your well being. And so, taking the long view of things is one way to to regulate your emotions about a specific event. Now, there's a limit to both of those, as you can imagine. This, uh, we, we can't solve the problem of, of viruses on our own, uh, but, but we can do what we can for ourselves in order to solve that problem by you know, controlling how we spend time and uh, expose ourselves to others. Mm-hmm. By contrast, uh, emotion-focused coping, you can think about ways to, uh, to think about things differently, take the long view, look at you know, how results uh, of the social distancing in China has, has proven beneficial over time and imagine ourselves in the future having done what we need to do at this point, uh, how that will uh, exert positive benefits in the future. Okay, so sort of almost do a little virtual fast forward in our own heads so we know that the good times could could come back. Um, Mm -hmm. We're talking to Tony Buchanan. He's a professor of psychology and co-director of St. Louis University's neuroscience program. We're also talking to Dr. Jessie Gold. She's an assistant professor in Washington University's Department of Psychiatry. And we're going to go to the phone lines. We have a number of callers with some good ideas about how they're coping and also some questions and and concerns. So let's go to Julia. She's calling from Springfield. Uh, Julia, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thanks, um, thanks for I, joining us. Hey, 
thanks. Uh, this is a great conversation. Very timely, obviously. Um, I simply wanted to share that as we engage in these online spaces and education through Skype and Zoom and FaceTime, that there is still one element that is missing, which is eye contact. You mm. can never truly make eye contact in those spaces. You look at the phone, you look at the camera, but you never truly connect. So. I just wanted to say that so that people understand in education that this may be a temporary fix, but should not be a permanent one mm-hmm. as a substitute for teacher-student react, uh, interactions and relationships. Julie, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, personally, I'm feeling this keenly, having so many guests by phone rather than getting to have them in studio. It, it does just feel a little bit different to me, and, and maybe it feels a little more lonely. Um, Dr. Gold, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, she's completely right. I think that we know that things like even my career is going to move to doing a lot of, of the visits remotely via telepsychiatry, which is using like Zoom or video chat to do a lot of my prescribing and visits. And I think I've never done that before. It's going to feel really different for me. But I think that in these times when that's the only option, I think that that's what we have to do. And I think we have to support each other through that. And it's better to do that than nothing. And I also think it's better to do that than rely on emails and text messaging, because at least seeing someone is better than just the text. Um, but But I do think She's right also that we can't think that it's the now the long-term fix because hopefully there will be uh, the end of the curve, in which case we're all going to need to try to support each other's mental health on the other side, and that's going to be socializing again and finding ways to re support each other through what is probably going to be a really hard time. Mm-hmm. So let's not make this the new normal for the long term. But certainly, as, as you're saying, this is this is so much better than not having it. So for the short term, this works. I want to thank Julia for that call. Let's go back to the phone lines. Anne is calling from Wright City. Um, Anne, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, my suggestion is one not original. A friend of mine suggested yesterday that we should write actual letters to people in nursing homes since mm-hmm. most of them can't take visitors and it's something uh, tangible for them and something that m- many of them can't cope with electronic media. I think that's a great idea and I think for so many of us who have preschoolers and, and young children where we're trying to keep them occupied, maybe that's something we could put them on <laughs> that they they might appreciate these these drawings they could get as well. And and your screener made a good suggestion, which is to use tape to seal the envelopes. Ah, uh, rather than lick it. Yes, that is a <laughs> that's a great suggestion. So and, none of mine is original, but <laughs> passing it on. And thank you so much for that idea. Okay. And uh, and that actually reminds me, we heard I believe from Facebook from Erin, and she writes, "I found comfort in reading about the positive things people and businesses are doing in all of this chaos. I called my elderly neighbor today to make sure she was doing okay and has what she needs. She was." so thankful for my call. All she asked for was masking tape and a few bars of soap. And it took just a few minutes of my time to brighten someone's day. I love this quote from Fred Rogers. When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find the people who are helping. Tony, can helping someone else actually be a positive coping strategy for dealing with our own stress? Yeah, I think that's that's one of the, the ways of, you know, it's an example of, you know, tending to others. Uh, uh, that uh, that we spoke about before, finding ways to, you know, it serves dual purpose, sort of distracting yourself from focusing on the negative and uh, and helping someone else. And so I think that uh, we've seen a lot of examples of that, and I think it's a very effective uh, uh, 
way that kind of combines both of the problem-focused and emotion-focused coping that we discussed earlier. I'm going to go back to the phone lines in a moment, but if you want to join our conversation, those phone lines are open. You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. And let us know your strategies for dealing with this this very fraught time. Um, Sue is calling from St. Louis. Um, Sue, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Uh, hi. I, I, I just wanted to share with all your listeners that I saved an article a long, long time ago. I think it's from the Wall Street Journal. And it talked about research that they had done at the Oregon Health and Science University. They followed 11,000 adults over age 50 to see what forestalled depression in them. And they found that virtual contact had no impact at all. Oh, no. This is is just for older adults. I don't know, you know, haven't done a study on younger people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, texting and emailing did not help them with, you know, later depression at all. And they found that only face-to-face interactions forestalled depression in older adults. Hmm. Phone calls made a somewhat difference, people with a history of mood, mood disorders. But people who had face-to-face contact with children, friends, and family as infrequently as every few months had the highest rates of the disease, that, hmm. that being depression. And those who connected with people in person at least three times a week had the lowest rate of depression. Hmm. So basically, the more often they got together in person, the better off they were. So that, um, That's an that, interesting that's study. That's something to think about is we're all, you know question in our own little world. Yeah, I guess I, I was hoping that that would not be uh, what a study <laughs> would have found. But, you know, hey, the truth is there. And, and that's good that you are up on it because, you know, that is good to know for the long run. Dr. Gold, I'm wondering, do you think there's that things might be different for the younger generation, people who are more used to texting, that they might get an endorphin hit from it that, that an older person might not get? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know that study, so I can't comment on it specifically. Sure. But I will say that um, even in the past couple of years, technology has shifted significantly and its place in society has sh- shifted significantly, even in that over 50 population. So I would assume if studies like that were done now, that maybe it would be different. And I know that when you look at getting therapy online versus getting therapy in person, the results are virtually identical. Hmm. So people are not doing worse because they're having to move to doing online therapy or because that's the only option. Um, I think that you're right that the younger generation is much more used to various forms of technology and feeling connected in that way. So I think you will see that as probably a protective factor in in some capacity in the long run. I think that it is important to point out, though, that if you already have depression or you already have anxiety, that this is going to be an additional stressor, that going inside and having your social life change is something that is very bound to be something that makes you resort to coping skills that are maybe not the best. So if you are someone who is typically drinks when they are trying to escape, you might notice that that's something you're craving more. If you're somebody who has a history of an eating disorder, you might realize that in order to try to take control of your environment that feels out of control, you're, you're, you're counting your calories more, you're starting to think more about 
those behaviors than you were in the past. So it definitely, if you already have predisposing mental illness, I think this is something that's really important to consider and I think really important to prepare for and that you shouldn't go off your medication and you shouldn't stop seeing your therapist just because you're at home or, you know, the, the schedules have changed. You should treat it just like any other schedule and all of us are doing our best to still be there to meet the need knowing that it's also growing. Mm-hmm. Try to stay on that schedule. That's that's good advice. Um, we had on, on a more hopeful note, um, during Italy's quarantine, the opera singer Maurizio Marcini wanted to give people hope and joy. And so he went to his balcony and he actually serenaded the city of Florence. We want to play a little excerpt of that. This is Nessun Dorma uh, from the opera Turandote. And yes, he's really singing this from his balcony. Let's listen. And that is the opera singer Maurizio Marcini on his balcony giving us some Puccini. Uh, it makes me think of these scenes of, of all these Italians gathered together singing on their balcony, which we've all seen on social media. Is there something about maybe the act of, of singing or, or singing together, even if we're doing it remotely? Uh, Tony, is that a way maybe that can uh, de-stress us? I, you know, I think there's there's a, a, no shortage to the, the sorts of, uh, of um, social activities that uh, that various people can find uh, uh, supportive in in times like this. And so, uh, you know, any anything that uh, that people enjoy doing together, if you can find a, a way to sort of alter that, such that uh, you're you're not uh, putting yourself or others in, in danger, I think it is is worthwhile to do. And so, certainly, people love to get together and. and and sing uh, under under normal times, and so any way you can do that uh, under these abnormal times would probably be beneficial as well. I want to go back to the phone lines. Uh, Dan is calling from Atlanta. Um, apparently, he's a, a former St. Louis guy. Um, Dan, welcome to St. Louis on the air. Th- thanks. I told her she could say I'm from St. Louis. I'm just a truck driver passing through Atlanta, oh, but I live lovely. in St. Louis. But, okay, I'm <laughs> I'm glad to hear from you as you're on the road. That's wonderful. I listen to my home station all the time. Anyway, I'm sort of curious what your panel thinks about how much of this stress that people say they're incurring is self-induced. Hmm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about the people that are actually out of work because of closures. I'm not talking about, oh, my kids are home for an extra two weeks. What am I going to do? I'm talking about the people that can't go to a movie, can't go to the mall, can't go get a latte, and saying, oh, this COVID problem is really stressing me out. It's like, you're, that's not that's not a problem. You really need to, you know, get a better grasp on what you're actually going through. That's what a, do they think about that? Yeah, Dan, I think that's a great question. Um, I don't know if either of our, our guests is up for taking that. Um, Tony, any thoughts on that? Well, I, I think it's, uh, that's uh, certainly some, something to consider. There's uh, uh, many of us uh, have, you know, we all appraise situations differently and uh, uh, as, as uh, uh, Jessica points out you know underlying mental illness underlying tendency towards mental illness can lead people to ruminate and and focus on things that are out of their control or just any kind of uh, uh, 
threat that doesn't affect them personally, but this existential threat, you know, it, it sort of weighs on people's minds that I don't want to and diminish anyone's uh, uh, stressful experiences about this. But, uh, but yes, there, there are certainly degrees of, of uh, the stressful nature of this, uh, of this particular situation. Mm-hmm. And maybe for some of us who are just obsessing over this, it might be good to just step away briefly from the phone. <laughs> uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Gold, one last question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if people are feeling just really overwhelmed and they just can't even begin to self-care, they're just refreshing their phone, getting more and more news, what's one small thing they could do or, or one way you'd want them to just start taking a little bit of care of themselves? <laughs> Go for an exercise. I think you can still do that in your house. That could definitely be a way to de-stress. Exercise is a good answer to that. Sometimes just if you're feeling super overwhelmed, to be honest, like just deep breathing and distracting and putting the phone away for even just a minute is mm-hmm. helpful. There are some apps that you can actually breathe with if you're have too stressed out in your head to be able to like actually comprehend and think around it. Um, I think those are easy ways to de-stress in the moment. But I will also just add that, like, in the previous question about different levels of stress, I think everybody everybody experiences things differently, and we really never know why some people feel more anxious than others. And in, right now, I think we just really need to be validating and listening to everybody's experiences as best as we can and sort of know that emotions are always valid, even if maybe it feels to you like the reasons behind them are not as equal to somebody who lost their job. Mm -hmm. Um, I think just really being there for each other and listening and being as supportive as we can is going to be really important. And I will add that it's really important if you know healthcare workers or anybody who works in the healthcare industry, because this is a very trying time for everybody who is kind of waiting for more and more people to be coming into the hospitals and could use as much support as possible when they don't have all the masks they need or they don't have all the support they need. So if you know anybody across the country, but, you know, if you're here and you're supporting someone at Owashu or Mercy or flu, like being able to just tell them that you know it's an increasingly stressful job right now and that you are really grateful for what they do would make a big difference. I think that's a great suggestion. And we could talk about this topic forever, but unfortunately we're out of time. So I want to say Dr. Jesse Gold of Washington University, thank you for joining us today. No problem. Thank you for having me. And Tony Buchanan, co-director of St. Louis University's neuroscience program. Thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.